Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. It's episode 109. We've got an amazing guest tonight. Uh, Brian Ray is a guitarist, session man, uh, musical director. He plays guitar with Paul McCartney. Uh, you guys may have heard of him. Um, so, Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Hi, Dave. Hi. Hey. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Really appreciate it. And Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, although I'm a little ghost-like in this uh, lighting tonight, but uh, it's just going to be the way it is. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a little gray tonight, so look, look a little <laughs> deathly. But our guest looks great. Yeah, his lighting is perfect. So <laughs> I was just telling the guys, you guys out there, it's so nerdy. I had to get a ring light because I was tired of looking gray or ghost-like. So I went... <laughs> Amazon and got a damn ring light. It's embarrassing, but hey, it's what we got to do. Keep up with the Joneses. It works. You know, it's it's funny the little things that can excite you about things. <laughs> you know, it's just like I, it's routinely at work, it, it'll be like, um, man, you know what? You know what I need? I need these uh, Dremel bit for a Dremel or something, right? And and oh, I'll just order some right now on Amazon or something. And you go on Amazon and you see all this these Dremel bit kits and all this stuff. And I'm like, ooh, click, 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 click. <laughs> now I have enough Dremel bits to last for a lifetime. But, oh you know, at least it only cost me like 30 bucks. <laughs> I, I told you, it's so true, man. And there's a hardware store. Out, I'm out in the desert right now on Palm Springs. And there's an Ace. No. Yeah. Ace Hardware. Mm -hmm. Used to be a true value. There's an Ace Hardware store mm -hmm. out here. And it is so damn complete. They have everything from like ice chest and garden furniture and floaties for your pool to a Dremel bit and everything in between, plus a key shop. And then they have like, I don't know, it seems like they have three employees per customer. I mean, yeah, three employees per customer. And they really? like warm you when you come in and they want to help you. Yeah, what it's do you like, need? <laughs> there's everything in there. Everything in there. I love going there. Oh, that's great. <laughs> My experience, I walk into Home Depot, I can't find anybody. I'm looking around going, does anybody work here? Anybody? Right. <laughs> oh, no, I have a little hardware store on the corner right but right next to my shop here that, that I've been going to for years. Oh, yeah. It is awesome. And generally, I don't need help because I know where everything is. But Because literally, I've been going there since 1988. <laughs> oh, they've been around for so, a long time. Uh, so uh, I know where everything is. And... Uh, uh, but they're always like, oh, can, you need some help? Uh, yeah, no, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> you probably know it better than your local market. I might know it better than them. <laughs> <laughs> Funny thing is, is that um, there's a there's a local uh, hardware store out in Santa Monica where I live. And, man, they are some ornery people in there. I mean, it's just like, you know, some of those hardware stores, but really like crusty dudes. Anyway, it's mm -hmm. one of those. But, <laughs> If, if you just like, you know, I like shopping. that though. I like it. Yeah. I like it if they're a little ornery bad. It's like going to a restaurant, right? You know, when you go to that diner or something somewhere that right. is got really good food, but Jesus Christ, they're the waitress is like just as rude as could possibly be throwing the food at the table. Yeah. But it's always that way, and you're you're okay with it. <laughs> Come to expect it's part of the experience. It's part of right. the experience, yeah. It's yes. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, how so, long do you guys go back, Dave and Brian? Oh, 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 geez. 
I'll let you chime in there, man. Let I don't, I, you know, I don't know where that, that came in. What's that? I don't know where it started. I don't remember. Yeah. Do you? I, I'm going to have to rack my brain now to figure it out. Um, shit. God. Um, it was before you even had a spot at lawns. And that's uh, a it had to be in the 90s at some point. Yeah. Sometime in the 90s. I, I'm just guessing somebody turned me on to you when I needed a new pedal board. I don't know what the hell it was, but it's a long, long time and you've been a great friend and always hooked me up and helped me out. Yeah, so it goes back a long way. I just don't remember when exactly. There's not one thing in the back of my head that says, oh, yeah, I remember. Wait, I, I do remember those. I remember something at Leeds. So that goes back a long ways. That's mid nineties. Yeah, it's mid nineties. So okay, you were playing. I, oh, you were playing with uh, Milan Farmer Milan, and Johnny. Milan, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Right on. That's amazing. Well, I have that effect on people. They can't remember at all where or why they know me. It's just you know, it's, <laughs> it's a rare talent, and I guess I excel at that. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you have made for me every single pedal board and rack rig that I've ever used. Uh, that means 20 years with Paul, all those years in France with mm -hmm. Avon drums for Milan yes. Farm and Johnny Halliday. So it's a long time. You think about that. It's uh, nearly 30 years of knowing you and, and yeah. working together. Yeah. I know. I go back with Rusty even further. I think Rust, Rusty dates back to like 1989 or 88 or something. Wow. Amazing. Now, yeah. he was my neighbor, Rusty from Paul McCartney's band, who plays guitar with me. Uh, for those of you who are just tuning in, Rusty Anderson. Anyway, he and I were neighbors in Silver Lake. And yeah, I remember the house. We met just sort of randomly at, at a club or something like that. And I saw him playing with Parthenon Huxley. Mm -hmm. And you remember, what was it called? Oh, this club out in the valley on Ventura where the girls wore striped unitards. I, uh, uh, it started with an S. Anyway, it's it's slipping my mind. I remember seeing Rusty at a, a green Ibanez with the handle built into the body. Oh, man. <laughs> Green speaker cabs, just green everything. Mm -hmm. I thought, God, this dude shreds and introduced myself. And we became sort of like guitar buddies, you know, and right. then we'd play on each other's demos and trade gear and borrow gear and stuff like that for years. Yeah. So who got into Paul McCartney first? Was it Rusty? Rusty was there first. Hmm. Um, Rusty was called in by David Kahn, the producer, who produced uh, a few great Paul McCartney records, including Driving Rain, uh, Memory Almost Full, and uh, a bunch of live stuff for us. Amazing uh, producer engineer. Also did, um, he did the Bangles stuff, some big singles for them, Walk Like an Egyptian and stuff like that. And a bunch of punk stuff. He did Sublime and stuff. He did some amazing stuff through the years. Anyway, so David Kahn got the uh, job to produce Paul McCartney's Driving Rain album. This is 
uh, 2000 or so. And, um, and uh, I, I got, I was playing in France and Abe was the drummer and he says, I'm not coming on the next tour because I just got called to go and do Paul McCartney's new record. I'm going, no way, dude. I was so excited for him. And then I learned that Rusty was also called on it all by David Kahn because they knew, they both knew David, Dave knew they're playing, but Rusty and Abe had never played together before. They didn't know each other. Not until Driving Rain album. I, however, knew each of those guys. Um, so it was this weird thing where we all kind of knew each other, but not all three of us sort of. Anyway, uh, they did that album. I was finishing the tour on in France that Abe couldn't do because of the Paul thing. I came back to town. It was 9-11 had just happened and everyone was gutted. And I was right after that, I was offered a gig with Shakira to go out on, you know, world tours ad infinitum. And, uh, you know, they asked me what I wanted. I gave them salary I had just had in France. Didn't seem to be an issue. I said, and business class air. And they said, oh, we'll have to get back to you. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> but you're, you're flying to Buenos Aires. I'm probably not going to want to go if it's coach. Anyway, they get back to me and say, I know I sound like a brat right now, but anyway. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, I travel a lot and I, I used to at least before COVID and I totally understand your reasoning. Yes. You know, when you're, you know, Saudi Arabia, she's half Arabian. So it would be like, that would be a lot, you know, anyway, I uh, didn't hear back from them. Finally, I make a call and they said, oh, yeah, we had, we found someone else. Uh, you know, business class air was a non-starter. You know, only the musical director got that. And I was like, oh, got it. And then my next thought was, you idiot. 9-11 just happened. Nobody's doing tours. You just turned down what could be years of work. <laughs> my next thought after beating myself up for a minute was like, but wait. Abe and Rusty just, you know, finished with Paul. Who knows? Maybe he's going to do some live stuff sometime. Maybe I could get a chance with that. And uh, Abe was at my birthday party a couple months later. And I said, so you guys going to go out or anything? And he goes, yeah, we're, we're going to do one song at the pregame show for the Super Bowl. Mm, I remember that. And, and he said, well, I said, who's going to play – uh, guitar when he plays bass and switch to bass when he plays guitar or piano. And he goes, Oh, we're looking for a guitar player who plays a bit of bass. And I went, I'd love a shot at that. And he goes, Oh, that'd be cool. And he put my name forward to David Kahn. And that's how that happened. David Kahn called me and said, can you come down to my studio and meet with me? And that was that. And just like, and I didn't even know if I had a real shot at it, you know, cause he said, Hey, they're considering a few different people. They're looking at a few different people. It's not my call, but I'll put your name forward. And then I get a call the next day. Can you be on, you know, this flight to go to New Orleans to play with Paul McCartney? I'm like, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know that answer. Anyway, and that was 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. fantastic. Very uh, smart of you to ask those questions about who's going to be playing what. And 
to get there, you know, to get to find out if there was going to be. That's what you, that's what you got to do. Right? Yeah. You know, it's like you know, as as a side man or as a as a, a person trying to get gigs like that. I mean, it's it's like you you to be a little forward and it's you know you have to be got to fit in. You got to be cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a big Definitely. psychological mess. <laughs> that's right, but you know, and honestly, it's not really my style to go, I'd like a shot at that or ask those questions. I, my, the old me would be like, well, Abe knows where to find me. You know, <laughs> he knows what to do. But I was like, dude, I would never have wanted anything more in my whole life. I'd love a shot at that. And that's yeah. kind yeah. of how I came off, you know. It's yeah. just not any gig. It's Paul McCartney. Yeah. It's not a gig. It's like a life changer, you know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> So what was the um, uh, the whole process for, um, I, I'm blanking on the question, um, when you were trying out for them, like what was the process for that? Well, so that first call to go to New Orleans to play with him was just one song. So they sent me the one song. Mm. And, uh, you know, it was before the national anthem at the Super Bowl 2002. And uh, so that was a no-brainer, not a, not a difficult song, but a newer song of his called Freedom. And I honestly, you guys, I was going to, I was like at the end of the football game. Now we're up in a skybox watching the rest of the game after doing the do. And I'm like looking around, there's Paul with his wife and there's some of the guys scattered around watching the game, exciting game. And I thought, well, I better go thank Paul. Cause I don't know if I'll ever see him again. I mean, this is amazing. Uh -huh. So I came up to him and he's just sitting there and I said, I just want to thank you. You know, it seems like the game's almost over here. And I just want to say, Hey, what a privilege this has been and how much I've enjoyed this and enjoyed meeting you. And he goes, Oh, great, Brian. Thank you. Okay, great. And then, um, we're all whisked away down into, uh, SUVs or whatever. And we go back to the hotel and they say, come on up to the bar. You know, we'll have a little nightcap. I come in there and there's Paul, you know, playing Lady Madonna on the piano for anyone in the bar. And there's our <laughs> little group of, you know, eight people in a little circle. And he's telling stories and we're hanging out. And after about an hour, he gets up and he goes, okay, guys, I'm, I'm off to bed, but thank you so much. And he goes around, gives everybody a goodbye and a hug and, he comes to me and he gives me a hug and goes, hey, Brian, welcome aboard. Stick with Abe and Rusty. They'll show you the ropes. We'll see you in March. And, you know, this was like the 6th of February. And uh, <laughs> like a month, five weeks later, we were getting together to rehearse. I had no idea. I wow. turned to him and I said, did he just say what I think he said? And he goes, yeah, dude. You know how Abe is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. He's like the Valley guy, you know, just, well, kind of like me. Anyway, uh, yeah, man. So I ran home. To answer your question, Mark, no, I ran home. I grabbed, I got an old Gretsch, a 59, 61, 18 Gretsch, you know, big body. And uh, a, a cool M85 Guild bass because I saw Sheryl Crow ripping on, and it sounded huge. Hmm. And it was short scale, like pillowy sound. I got a 12 string, six string, 
set them all up on stands, mic stand, and a big old set stack of CDs. And I just started digging through his work because I wasn't given a guest uh, a guest list. I wasn't given a, a song list yet or anything close to it. You know, just like I just started whacking away at it. So for five weeks, I just woodshedded and. At first, I didn't think it was that good. You know, I thought, oh, man, this is going to this going to be rough. <laughs> and uh, I just kept working at it, working at it, because it's a lot. You know, you're singing parts and you're you're, you know, playing bass. It's like it's a lot. You know, mm-hmm. um, anyway, I just kept working at it until I went into that first day. And I didn't see anybody running around that first day, like making other phone calls and panicking. And it was going well. And uh, at the end of the first day of rehearsal in Culver City, he comes up and goes, okay, guys, I'm going to leave now. Sounds great. See you tomorrow. And that was the first time I really got it that I'm going on tour with Paul McCartney. Because, and that was it. I had no idea for those five weeks, six weeks before that. You know, I just, that was the proof. And that was the only way it was going to get decided, you know. Incredible, incredible story. That's yeah. so great. And what he's a- so nice. He's such a oh, man. I mean, he's just like you probably heard people say this, but he's just walking, breathing music. He mm-hmm. just, as you would imagine, he is. He's always whistling a tune. <clears throat> he's always thinking of music. He's very fun, very funny, and very inspiring. And um, you know, I just feel really lucky to have landed with such a cool guy and such a great band. You know, uh, and you guys are. It is a great band. It really is. Yeah, it's really the whole, yeah. I've seen you guys at least once, if not twice, and it's great. Um, so you also have your own podcast going on right now too, right? On yeah, tour yeah. With Brian Ray. We did. I, we did one season. We're not. We're not doing another one. But that was so fun. We had a great time. It was sort of like a, a great one season project. Uh, Mandy Wimmer and her her brother Chris have a really cool podcast company called Black Barrel Media. And for all of those of you who like podcasts, they're very high quality, a lot of sort of old West stuff and a lot of sort of true crime and, you know, history of naughty Americans. I mean, just Mm -hmm. really great stuff. Yeah. Go check them out. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I haven't listened to any, but I was, I was looking it up and I'm like, Oh yeah. Brian's got a podcast. That's well, we're on our, what number show now? 109. 109. We've done (laughs) Yeah, four years, a little close to five years. It'll be, I think April of 2022 will be five years. Wow. Well, it's more than a podcast because you got the visuals going here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whether we like them or not. Whether we like them. <laughs> exactly. And then I also, I, I transfer it to podcasts. So it's on oh, iTunes. Yeah. If anybody wanted to listen and not look at our faces, they can do that too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually get a, I get a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm dry. I drive a truck or I'm, I do this for a living and I listen to you guys. I'm like, that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, they go down these deep rabbit holes of four-hour shows and things. Yeah, really? although we haven't done a four-hour show in a long time. No. <laughs> so you to... end up editing it down to less than an hour for the for the podcast-only version, or what? No, no, no. Just leave it all up. 
Let her rip. Oh, fantastic. Rip. Yeah. 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 Okay. Because, because the people that listen to the show, believe it or not, will sit through the four hours. <laughs> well, or maybe not at one time, but they'll sit through the, the, the whole thing. Eventually. Not everybody. Not everyone. But we, but. But we do have a, a good group of uh, viewers who are really into it. I mean, we, you know, the, the four hour ones we did with John Sir, Pete Thorne. Uh, that was like an epic one, almost five hours long. But usually, yeah, yeah. But those were early in the early days. I think we've mellowed and gotten older. <laughs> we're just like, okay, an hour well, and a half is good. <laughs> what what you always find is that if you have a guest that is uh, talkative and is communicative, uh, it it all of a sudden you look, wow, it's been an hour and we haven't even asked anything yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly so. true. Yeah, that that's that's it. I guess it, you want your interviewee to expound. There's nothing worse than being in your position and somebody gives you a one word answer. It's just like, oh yeah, we've had that. Oh yeah, we, we we've had that. We've had that too. Where it's like looking at the watch, going, hmm, how how are we going to make an hour? <laughs> Where are we going to go from here? Yeah. During the podcast, we we were we were recording two hour you know, sessions and Mandy was cutting it down to, you know, 48, 50 minutes because you have to yeah. have enough room for ads mm -hmm. and end up at an hour, you know? Yeah. 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 I just don't have the time to do it if, if I did, but I, I do want to maybe during the holidays I'm having, I have a plan to maybe go through some old episodes and cut some clips and, you know, have like 10 minute or whatever, or just certain stories like your story about getting into Paul's band or, you know, and just have a short story like that and cut, cut some clips. I may do that during the holidays. Um, we've got a great question here, uh, from Alex Pritchard. Is Brian looking forward to the get back documentary? I know I am. Oh, big time. You know, they, uh, what did they say? There's like some crazy amount of hours of uncirculated, heretofore unseen footage. Like, what did they say? Fifty-six hours of of footage or something more? It was crazy. It's crazy. And then Peter Jackson, uh, you know, editing and directing the 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 doc. Man, I mean, it's going to be epic. And I think that. It's uh, it's a good idea to to tell that story in a more full way because everybody thinks back um, of those sessions as being, you know, the the death knell for the band that was breaking up in front of your very eyes. But you know, the clips I've seen, they're having a blast. They're joking around like they ever did. They're, you know they're just very real and very human, you know, and I think that this documentary will present a, a more full picture. Yeah. And it, it definitely seems to be in a more positive light than, I mean, I saw the original get back uh, movie, which I guess was two hours and something long back, you know, uh, it's on, it's out of print, but I, I, I think I have a DVD somewhere of it, uh, really grainy footage, but for the most part, you know, it showed a lot of the arguing and, the breaking up of a band, so to speak, right? And like you said, this new footage looks, not only is the new footage amazing looking, uh, the clarity, it looks like it could have been recorded yesterday. Um, 
but it, they seemed like you said they seem to be getting really getting along and really enjoying themselves yeah i really look forward to it it's going to be cool i'm not one of those guys that um is is it was really a beetle file in terms of knowing all the history and all the dates and which guitar they used exactly when i mean but i am a guy who was on the floor i'm old enough to have been the guy on the floor in front of the tv set the night that they arrived uh to our tv sets mm. the ed sullivan show in 64 um so i'm i mean it's way in my dna i'm just not one of those guys who's one of those guys who reads all of the books and right, you studied everything yeah. yeah i'm not one of those guys gotcha um forward to it We've got a question from Brian Reed. Brian, uh, you have an amazing career that speaks for itself. Guitar stuff aside, one heartbeat is so good. Really memorable song for me. Did you get to work with Smokey at all on that song? Uh, yeah. Hey, thanks a lot for that uh, question. Um, so that's, can I tell the story? That song is like the oh, yeah. story that I think is helpful for anybody to hear this kind of thing. Um, so I got a call from a couple of good friends of mine with whom I used to play in a band, a band that had a deal on, on Warner Brothers Records, a band called Kraken. And uh, the bass player and drummer, uh, that's Rick Chudikoff and Peter Benetta, uh, had started a new career as producers. Now we're in the early 80s. And uh, I did a bunch of sort of records with them and rhythm and blues, pop, some yacht rock kind of vibes, uh, Robbie Dupree, you know, uh, Matthew Wilder, stuff like that. And uh, I was just always in touch with them. They're some of my favorite people in the world. And I owe a lot of my sort of, you know, um, record producing, arranging minds to them because they were just really great at it. And it's so fun to be around. Anyway. I get a call from them sometime in 86 saying, oh, you'll never guess what we're doing. I get what? And he said, uh, yeah, they said, we're producing Smokey Robinson's new album, you know, for Motown. And I went, oh, my God, so happy for them. They had just produced an album by the, temp by the Temptations. Hmm. So it's kind of a natural uh, evolution. And I said, oh, man, my writing partner and I, a guy named Steve Legasic, you know, we're doing a lot of songwriting. Could we submit a, a song or two to you? And they said, oh, Brian, thanks a lot, man. But really, don't don't bother. We, we've we got our hands full. And he's like, as you know, he's like the most amazing writer. He's writing most of it. We're taking a couple of songs, but pretty much all filled out. And I oh, got off the phone so discouraged. And I turned to my friend, uh, Steve, my writing partner, and I told him that news, and he goes, let's do it anyway. And I went, wow, that's genius. Would never have thought of that. Let's do it anyway. And I thought, okay, well, I had this title in my mind, One Heartbeat, take it one heartbeat at a time, rather than take it one day at a time. So I... I was, you know, with Stephen, we started this group. It was sort of tracks of my tears, kind of a vibe, smoky vibe. And we wanted to write it straight for him. So it took us two weeks to write and record and finish this song. And a great singer, sax player played on it. 
and uh, it's now finished. And Steve and I were going to go visit his parents up at a lake. And I said, I'm going to handwrite on the cassette. Cassettes were what was going on. Handwrite on the label, like one heartbeat, all underlined and real nice penmanship by Brian Ray and Steve Legasic. Handed it off, then kept going in the car up to Lake Isabella. Well, that was a Friday. We get back on a Sunday night, check our voicemail uh, tape machines. And, uh, you know, because this is 1986. And there's a message from Peter and Rick saying, hey, Brian, we played your... You, we played your demo for Smokey. He loves it. We're cutting it Thursday at Conway. Bring all your stuff. We want to do it exactly like the demo. And I was like, holy shit. Wow. Smokey Robinson. And uh, so it's one of those stories of like, you know, don't take the first no for an answer, man. Hang in there and have some faith in yourself. And if you don't have a partner like Steve Legasic, you know, um, <laughs> It was really, really um, gratifying. And then got to the studio and we did record it just like the demo. And and uh, we did it all in one day. Uh, and um, yeah, and Smokey, I wasn't there when Smokey worked on it, but I visited the studio later. And then he became a real good friend of mine. And so many years later, I did a version of that song for my uh, singles deal on Wicked Cool Records. And I just thought, hey, what the heck? I'll call him and ask. The worst thing he could do is say no. Called and asked if he, you know, maybe want to offer some vocals or whatever. And he goes, sure, man, I'd do anything for you. And uh, he came down to Village and sang with me. So I was like, one of those lessons that I carried forward 30 years and just sort of, you know, the worst thing can happen is no. Are you willing to hear no? Because if you can right, get right. through that, then you might have a shot at hearing yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So one of those cool things. And then it was chosen as an album title. And then it was chosen as a second single from that album. So it did really well, too. So it's one of those giant honors. It did oh, really well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great song. That's a great story too. I mean, amazing perseverance just, you know, to say, all right, we're going to do it anyway. That's yeah. great. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, Chris Puckett. Uh, I don't think he has a question, but I think he wants to just give us a story here. Saw Paul live last weekend play with the Foo Fighters in Cleveland. First time with Paul was in 1989. Cleveland Stadium, 125,000 people. Went with my mom. I was 16. She saw them in the 60s. She passed away this year. Oh, sorry to hear that. Uh, yeah, well, that, that would have been great. to. So I guess you went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I saw a clip online of Paul playing Get Back with the Foo Fighters. Yeah, yeah it's, it sounded great. I, I saw that too. Hey, well, Chris, thanks for, for piping in there. And so sorry about your mom. Um, interesting thing is, you know, all these years with Paul, you hear a lot of stories like that. Like um, guys who are my age or older having witnessed the Beatles with their families and then doing it again many years later and then you know their kids are now coming to the show it's like you hear these stories over and over again it's it's really uh heartening kind of thing like the power of music the power of great music and the power of the beatles you know and 
and Paul McCartney solo in Wings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Totally. Uh, BB, our moderator, uh, says, Mark, the new Paul McCartney book, uh, the lyrics, I think he's meant 56 to present is really interesting. Oh, I haven't seen that. When did that come out? Yeah, that's just come out maybe even today. I mean, it's just like, I think he just did a book signing, um, today. So it may be today and yeah, it looks really amazing. And there's a lot of great photos in there and, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that really thinks through his, you know, releases and re-releases and things like that. He just does a really good job of it. And if you're going to throw down for somebody's book, make it Paul's not doing an ad for him, but because he really cares and Mm -hmm. he is poured over, believe me, every single page in there has Every single word and every image has gone through a lot of thought process, all with him involved. So it's not like some publisher threw something together and he signed it. It's really him. Yeah. And know that. And so it's kind of special. Oh, yeah. I have to grab it. That's great. I also loved he, uh, what came out when he was working with Rick Rubin on that. I guess it was six kind of miniseries. Yeah, uh, which was great going through the Beatles songs and those stories and everything. That was just fantastic. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and nice looking too in that black and white kind of. Vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really cool. Yeah, very, very much so. Really um, so, what's like your favorite piece of gear right now? What do you? Oh, what do you? What, what do you like? Anything new that you? You're Brian's what, got a lot of gear. I know he does. Well. <laughs> Maybe not as much as I used to, Dave, but, you know. I got rid of some? (laughs) You know, what I do is I'm always shuffling the deck. I mean, I get all these really cool things that I feel like I can't live without. And then something else comes up that I feel like I can't live without. And it's always vintage stuff. Yeah. What it is for me. Um, And uh, so then I get that other thing I can't live without and sometimes shuffle the deck and let go of the other thing. You know? so Three have just, to go for this one. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's the way it is, you're selling three to get one, whatever. So the, maybe that collection's getting smaller, but it's really fun. And I really, I just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy guitar nerdery, if that's a word. If Are it's you more? Word, it's a word now, nerdery. It's a word, guitar nerdery? Oh, yeah. It, I, I agree with it. Um, are you a, more of a guitar guy or an amp guy? I am a both guy. All of that <laughs> stuff. Well, what I've never really gotten into is a ton of pedals. I have, you know, a couple of drawers full of pedals and some great pedal boards, all of which Dave built for me. Uh, but I'm not one of those guys that's up on all the new, you know, impulse response, this or that. I'm not like Pete Thorne, my good friend, is like, Wow, he's like the king of all of that stuff. And so I've always been more of like my first rigs when I was a kid with Etta James was my 57 gold top, which already looked a little beat up in 1973, plugged straight into a blonde basement piggyback, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and that tone was so complete for me. And then then I went into maybe like uh, one uh, overdrive pedal and a, and a, a CE2 
or something like that into a super reverb that I played for another 10 years with her. So I've always come from a pretty straight ahead. Your right hand does all the work on the volume knob and tone knob and the tone switch. And you look at any footage of guys from back then, their right hand is nearly as active as the hand is that's on the fretboard. Yeah. And it's just a different approach. Now, of course, I need all those colors, all the pedals to get the sounds I'm looking for. So I still do. But my main thing is is vintage guitars. I have a couple of sick ones right over here. Let's oh, see. Come yeah. on. You sure? Okay. Yeah, we're positive. Give me <laughs> my, uh, my kitchen lights while I get it. Okay. okay. No problem. <laughs> the mid-century modern kitchen lights. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Here's something you don't see every day. It is a 1961 slab board Fender Telecaster, but not just any Fender Telecaster. It's in a rare custom color Fiesta Red. Hmm. And it's like in mint, like mint, unplayed. Oh, God, that's beautiful. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, I can see. I can see the checking is. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's got some nice long sort of checking going on, but no, fretware, no fretware at all. Oh my god! No, nothing. And look at the back of the finish. Have you ever seen a sixteen that is new? That's crazy. It's crazy. Not one belt chip or rash. Nothing. It's sick, sick and silly. And then it has, you know, all the case stuff all the ephemera going on but it is so resonant you guys wow oh, I, I love fiesta red especially if it if it's sort of aged just to the right color because you know how all the fiesta reds are mm, yeah mm, some are more salmony some are more red some are more you know they all they age differently and uh, that one is almost just perfect it, it is. It's dynamite. And um, like I say, the resonance. Yeah. Yeah. It awesome. rings forever. I mean, you could go away and read a book and come back. And <laughs> <laughs> How'd you find that one? Yeah. So I'm super, super, super happy with this. How many guitars and went for that one? <laughs> it's got a good story to it. It was um, discovered by a guy in Tennessee who would just heard about an estate sale uh, at a farm. So he goes up to the barn and the woman is set up in front of the open barn doors, set up her little table and all this stuff is outside the barn that they're selling. And the guy's a guitar guy and he looks through the barn doors and he sees an old Fender case and it happens to be tweed. So it's a little strange. It definitely looks like the case the guitar came in because all the indent indents in the in the mm -hmm. plush have only been on this guitar and it had the ashtray on it its whole life mm -hmm. okay so this is the granddaughter of the farmer who bought this thing new and uh and he points to this case and said what's in there and she goes oh that's my grandpa's old guitar and that's not for sale and he goes well, do you mind if i see it anyway just take a look at it and she goes okay so he talked her into bringing it out opens the case. First of all, he looked at a tweed case, went something good's going to come of this. Opens it, sees what it is and said, 
ma'am, this is a very valuable instrument. I mean, it could be worth, you know, strong five figures. And she goes, oh my God, really? You know, I mean, this guitar was what, $180 new at the most, maybe less. Anyway, so he talks her into at least getting it appraised and figuring out what it's worth. She she said, oh, I just wanted to hang that. I was going to take it out and hang it in the house on the wall oh, and, as artwork. <laughs> you know, like probably hammer right through the headstock. Ah! <laughs> just making that part up. Anyway, um, so she, he, the woman takes the guitar to uh, Carter Vintage, who did an appraisal on it, and uh, and then gave an appraised value on it, but then offered sort of a lot below that, way below that, like, you know, like you would, because you of course. see the value of it, but, you know, you yourself aren't going to spend all that. It's just what the retail value would be. Yeah. So that um, process led to her listening to my friends that were from Guitar Center Nashville and his sort of overlord at Hollywood uh, uh, vintage in at Guitar Center, Nick Conte. And so they decided to do whatever it was going to take to warm that relationship up and get that guitar. And then they did. And they posted, Nick post, posted a picture on Instagram before they had possession of it, of the photo with its original round flat wound strings, two of them broken, still on the guitar factory. Uh, and and all just like covered in sort of dust, look kind of monkey, mucky and moldy kind of vibe because it had been in a barn for decades. And uh, and I saw, I looked down below the post and went, holy shit. I went down below the post and it said, uh, posted eight minutes ago. And I went, shit, texted Nick Conte immediately, got into his DMs, went, I'm your man. No questions asked. I fucking love this guitar. Please, please tell me this isn't sold yet. And he goes, oh, goes, oh, okay, great. I've heard from a couple of people, but, you know, I'm going to find out more about it. It's not ours yet. Now, Nick and I had had a deal uh, that didn't go so well with a, with a great vintage guitar that we later all learned was from a stolen collection, collection oh. that got stolen. And so Nick let me know that. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry to hear that. Of course, I'll come back with the guitar, but it's going to be twice as much now. No, I should, <laughs> I'll come right back with the guitar, man. And, you know, that was the only time I bought something from him. And I think maybe a part of it was I was first to reach out to him, but also maybe he wanted to kind of rub out a record on that one and see if we could get a good transaction going. Anyway, you know, long story short, it was more than I wanted to spend, but then, you know, go find another one. It's just, they're not out there. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just really happy with that one, but I am selling two guitars to make up for it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, sometimes yeah. that's what you got to do, but that's a beautiful guitar. What was the other one you had? You got, Oh, that one's a 1959 Les Paul Sunburst. <laughs> you guys don't want to see that. Nah, I'm not interested in that one. Forget it. That's just, you know, it's whatever. So it's common. not very good. It's wrong year. <laughs> and it's common. You see them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please break that out. I heard yeah. that you got that. Yeah. And it's, it's stupid too. Recently, I mean, right? 
Recently, yeah. yeah. Um, so I've owned a bunch of those over the years. Like I've owned, this is the fourth one I've owned. Mm. And this one came to me, you know, like it was 10 blocks away at True Tone Music. And I got a text from my friend there, Paul Flynn, who's, you know, done guitar techery for me. Another word I don't know if is a real word, but I think <laughs> you've made it. It's now a word. Techery. Um, anyway, he's done uh, setups for me and, you know, guitar tech stuff for years. Just great guy right in Santa Monica, 10 blocks yeah. away. So he goes, he sends me a text as we always text cool stuff back and forth. And he goes, I'm, I'm, you know, going through a couple of guitars for, for a friend of mine who's owned this, owned these for a very long time. And he's getting ready to possibly sell them. And one was a gold top. And then there was this flame top and uh, he said, the gold top's already gone. And I went, Oh my God, I had just sold uh, another 59 burst and um, through the good people at uh, Emerald city up in mm -hmm. Seattle. Great guys. Uh, Trevor Boone, shout out to my buddy, Trevor and his dad, Jay. Anyway, I had just sold that guitar and was sitting on the, the the money from it, the profit from it, and no intentions of getting another burst. But what do you guys, what did you expect me to do? It came to me. It literally almost it came over and knocked on my door, Dave. <laughs> yeah. So what do you, you know, the money's sitting there. So, yeah, have yeah. To. so that money was sitting there. So I did, because otherwise I wouldn't have, you know, but I figured, you know, I kind of have to, you know. So do you want to see it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. All right, hang on. I wish I had some theme music for you. <laughs> I'll give it. <laughs> Drum roll, please. Yes, and this one is fairly silly. Oh, oh yeah, that's oh, nice. Look at that. You I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make the image bigger. One second. Look how clean it is. Wow. Jeez. That's another silly one there. That is gorgeous. I can't center it. Everything's backwards. You have a vault in your house there? <laughs> no, just a little of me. Wow. No vault for him? <laughs> I know. Don't tell people. I hope this How's, isn't public. <laughs> How's the neck on that? Is it uh oh, it's a beautiful, perfect in my opinion, it's it's what I like. It's a beautiful ooh. ooh. Oh. oh, that is gorgeous. Yeah, it's nice. Nice top. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful C, you know, like a classic beautiful C. Also super is super super resonant guitar also. Really, really beautiful. I'm very, very, very fond of this. How's it compared to the other ones that you used to have? This one is my favorite by far. Uh -huh. uh, and that's just not because of the appearance, but because of the resonance and the feel of it. Um, original frets, some divots in the in the uh, Brazilian rosewood, you know, like it was played a lot. I guess maybe someone had long fingernails. But, uh, you know, some people would take off the frets and, and sort of playing that down. But you know, it's got the original nice big 59 frets and feels fine to me. My mm. guitars end up with divots anyway, so 
why should I change it? That's amazing. So this kind of ties into uh, Guitar Rock's question, which is, what is Brian Ray's favorite prize possession, gear-wise, of course? Guitars, pedals, amp. Would would the uh, would this this uh, burst be your favorite? Funny enough, no. Um, I still own. Fortunately, I still own my um, original first vintage guitar, which was that '57 gold top with humbuckings. So that's like far and away my number one. If I only had one electric guitar, it would definitely be that guitar. Yeah, mm. it's um, really dear to me and amazing, and it looks like Keith Richards' face, and it's amazing. It's just like <laughs> totally weather-checked. Yeah. I mean, it's not like belt rash in the back. There's just very little finish left at all in the back. There's mm-hmm. like a big gouge out. It looked like somebody put like chewing gum in the gouge. It's just it's so great. You know, it's the opposite of something like this, but right. It's, it's a workhorse. Dear, dear, dear. I played every every single show I ever played with Eddie James was on that guitar over the 20 years or 15 years I played with her. Can can you tell the story of how you hooked up with Eddie James? Because that's amazing. I mean, I, I, I read the story that um, you played, I think, your first gig with her at 15 or something like that at the Troubadour or or no, I forget where it was. Well, I, I was actually, my first gig was at the Troubadour, but that was with my half-sister, Jean. Oh, okay. uh, and a, about three or four years later, uh, I was, you know, now I'm 18 and played uh, with a, a guy named Bobby Boris Pickett doing the mash, the monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. <laughs> and it was basically my high school band, and my half-sister, Jean, and two other women singing backgrounds, Bobby Boris Pickett, and we all wore ghoul makeup, like, you know, like rising from the dead makeup that we all did ourselves. And um, we were asked to, we had done some, like, six flags over Texas, whatever. It was seasonal. And... Um, and I got the call to that we're doing a benefit show to raise some money for some guy. And uh, I didn't know what it was about. It was a daytime thing. And got there. It was in a backyard of this wild, crazy sort of old, uh, old ranch house with a great big front porch, great big front yard, big backyard and a guest house in the back. It had like a hearse parked in the front big old gasoline um, steel signs on each side of it, like those big uh, uh, American gas or whatever it is, big eagles on each side of the porch, all this crazy neon and shit. I went, this is insane looking, okay? So this is really exciting. I'm, I'm a kid. We go in there, you know, there's uh, Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers. There's uh, Dr. Domeno and some of the Oingo Boingo guys there. We're all on a few different stages raising money for this guy who owns the house. And his name is Phil Kaufman. Some of you may have heard the story. Well, Phil Kaufman was best friends and road manager for the Flying Burrito Brothers, best friends with Graham Parsons. Mm. And I won't go far into that story, but you can look it up. Phil Kaufman, Graham Parsons, Joshua tree and I'll let you do the looking. But anyway, so I meet this ornery, funny, hilarious American cowboy, modern day cowboy. And um, 
And he kind of takes to me. He just lost his best friend, Graham Parsons. Well, we're playing, we're playing to raise money for the fine that he got from this caper involving Graham Parsons. I'll leave mm. it to you to go look it up. So I, the picture is getting clearer anyway. So Phil Coffin kind of takes me in and he says, Hey, Brian, I'm also road managing for Etta James, who's just coming out of heroin treatment. Uh, and she's got a rehearsal tomorrow up in the Hollywood Hills and the guitar player can't make it. Why don't you bring your gold top and come with me? And I did. And that's what led to that, you know, long, long association with her. That's amazing. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she was, so you were young. I mean, like 18 years old, right? 19 18 years. when I met her and 19 when we did our first gigs. Crazy. That's so that cool. Started you down the long path of rock and roll. It did, yeah. I mean, it was one of those things where, like, I was a greenhorn. I was self-taught. I didn't know what I was doing. But it was something about being around people who had been much farther along, like Etta and all the guys that were in that band, that made me feel like I could belong or, you know, like, they didn't toss me out. And so, you know, I just sort of, like, I don't know. I just sort of, you know, luckily kind of fit in. Mm -hmm. That's That's great. And it's a different, I mean, a different style of music, you know, so you really, did you, did you feel like it was a stretching your, your chops or stretching your knowledge of music by doing that type of music? Well, I mean, she was doing like rock and blues and R&B. She wasn't doing her, her jazz-ish standards yet, not for another couple of years. And maybe a year in, we started working on medleys of her, of her own old standards that a lot of people know are by like Sunday kind of love and at last and trust in me, we added those in later. But when we got together, it was just like, she wanted to play, you know, like fog hats version of just want to make love to you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? She was like into rocking and that's what she wow. wanted to do. That fit with me very well because I was a blues rock kid. And so mm-hmm. anyway, I was young and hungry and, wasn't going to stand her up at a gig, you know? So she just like took me in and took me in and she basically showed me the ropes. Amazing. How many years did you play with her? Well, it was 15 years as her MD and guitar player and also Mm -hmm. coming and going a lot. Um, And then, then we parted ways and then we were back in each other's lives doing this and that, you know, like I play on records of hers and she sang on a record of mine, um, stuff like that, you know. So we stayed in each other's lives for another 20 after that. So from 1974 till she passed in 2012, you know. Wow. And what about your work with um, Peter Frampton? Well, you know, Peter and I go back just for a couple of writing dates. And those, those songs didn't really ever make a record but uh, it was with my partner that I told you about a minute ago who did mm. the Smokey Robinson record with me, Steve Lugasic, and uh, back in the day. But Peter and I are friends all the time on chiming in on uh, Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. Good dude. What a great dude. What a great guitar player. Peter's too. awesome. Oh, yeah. legendary. Yeah, I'm so Man. glad he got his guitar back. I know. Wild, isn't it? What a story, right? What a story. Yeah. What a story. So lucky. 
so to, lucky. Yeah. yeah, to get and especially to get it back, you know, in in his lifetime to be able to enjoy it again, which is great. But, I mean, he's just so cool because he's such a survivor to have gone through the meteoric rise to fame out of like a couple of killer bands, Humble Pie. Right. I mean, going solo and then sales are bananas, like, you know, gazillion albums sold. And then, you know, the press, as they're going to do when you have that kind of fame and notoriety, they like to beat you up. Uh, it's mm -hmm. what the press is good at. Um, and so he came through all of that and survived that and is just like, you know, still producing music to the degree he is and then surviving the the trouble that he's having with his uh, muscular situation there where he's not oh, going to yeah. he's retired from touring. Mm -hmm. But what he did was he went straight into a studio and recorded a canon full of albums. Like, I think he's done at least three albums since his diagnosis. Wow. And I mean, amazing. Not They're not released yet. He's just got them all in the cannon ready to fire out there. So you just got to think to yourself, I mean, that's got all of my respect, man. Surviving like that, man, it just, you know, he's an awesome dude. Yeah, totally. Really. And just seems so nice. Also, very down-to-earth guy. Oh, he's great. Yeah, Totally yeah. nice guy. Yeah, totally nice guy. Very approachable, super smart, political. In uh, in a good way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom Pollock, thanks for the super chat. Huge Brian Ray fan. Hoping to get a shout out to Vic Dapra. Oh, Burst Believers. Yeah, I've got I've got the uh, Beauty of the Burst book. Uh, what is that? Uh, used to sit in with Vic's band in the late '80s. Vic is the most humble but important figure in perpetuating the history of the Gibson Burst. Yeah. Yeah. You won't get any argument from me, man. Victor Pra, he's, he's just uh, an awesome guy. He's, he's out there in um, Pittsburgh and I've popped by his house while we were on tour and invited me over. Rusty and I went over there and just gawked at his amazing collection, but he's probably had more sunburst, Les Pauls and other killer guitars through his hands than any other person on the planet mm -hmm. and has now done five books on the sunburst and uh the books have just gotten better and better and just the nicest guy and it was through Vic Pra that that i ended up doing a signature model with gibson mm -hmm. uh, some years ago that br 63 sg and then more recently the br 62 sg jr and uh it's because of him you know, he's the one who started down that path with me with Gibson Custom. That's great. So, yeah. Bob, thank you. I used to belong to the Les Paul Forum. I still do, but I haven't been on there in so long. Um, but I think most people are on Facebook and doing that stuff now. Um, St Stephen Massey, thanks for the super chat. Hey, Brian, longtime fan. I saw you guys at Fenway in 2013. What's your current pedal board with Paul like? And also, is Paul a gear nerd? Paul knows great tone like he knows what he's looking for. But as far as being a nerd like, you know, Pete Thorne, Dave, myself, you, <laughs> it, 
No, he's not that kind of guy. And, and, uh, but boy, does he know good tone. You know, when we've been in the studio get together, I mean, you, you get so honored when he says, okay, now plug into my Vox. You know, I got a, you know, an old junior <laughs> and he wants to plug into the box. And there's Paul leaning over there and dialing it in because he knows what he likes to hear. Um, so, yeah, awesome guy. Obviously, awesome tone man, Paul, forever. All those records. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but um, what was the rest of, of that? Oh, it was. Uh, oh, it was. What's your current pedal board with? So I have a um, a, a Line Six Helix right now. I have two. Um, it's um, an HX effects. Yeah, HX, right? Right. Yeah. HX, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I yeah. have. I just saw it, but I don't remember everything that's on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I have. Uh, I do remember that part. <laughs> I have two great pedals by Vemaram, the great Japanese company. One is their collaboration with uh, Ibanez on. Um, Basically, it's a um, it's a tube screamer, but with Vemaram's sort of expertise and and quietness and components, old components, but new sort of uh, influence on that. And an, and an Archer pedal that's sort of a a, a clone clone mm-hmm. um, that's amazing. Love that. Uh, I've got currently a Strymon L Capstan. Uh, delay um what else do i have on there i have some tortuga stuff on there yeah the the fuzz the i don't remember which ones yeah i have a couple of theirs this one is sasquatch yeah but i also have an old yeti that's amazing and then i have um also a martini pedal that has one of the best pitch vibratos i've ever heard plus with a little toggle uh just a straight chorus sound which is never what I go to that pedal for. I'm always switched to pitch vibrato. And then an Octron that you oh, got so good. many, many years ago. And an MXR uh, equalizer for some of the more, uh, you know, curved out uh, early, early Beatles, more tinky kind of tones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a couple of other things like that, you know, and then a couple of bass pedals that live on the same pedal board. Because as right. you know, I switch between bass and guitar all night long. So I have a tuner up there and a um, Ren and Cuff tripi fuzz for the bass. That's sick. So good. That's awesome. Yeah. Is Tortuga still in business? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, I'm not yeah, sure. Long ago that I was seeing them posting stuff, and I said, "Oh, you know what? I'd love is like a small version of the." the uh, martini with just the pitch vibrato and he goes mm. oh that's a cool idea and then, never heard from him again but anyway mm. that was my idea interesting i have a uh, their gecko pedal that's the delay oh yeah it's a great delay pedal i've got it over here somewhere um so let's see uh mr anderson brian can you tell us how much it weighs i assume you the, the less paul you're you're playing. Do you remember the weights of your other bursts? Was offered one which weighed 8.4 pounds. Mark, you should ask him if he weighed Jimmy Page's number one when he had it in his shop. Oh, that'd be a good question to ask him. Woo. Yeah, did so you know that? Yeah. Go we ahead. Had, you, 
you answer yours first. I'm trying you know, to. We had Tim Mills from Bare Knuckle Pickups on last show, and he told a story about, which is one of the stories I'm probably going to cut out and and uh, just have a separate clip on Jimmy Page's, on the pickups that he worked on for Jimmy Page's number one, which was very yeah. cool. Yeah. And and he how, told all about that guitar. Yeah. Do you, know, do you know how heavy it is, or is that what he's asking? Yeah, that's we what he's know. asking. We know the yeah, neck is shaved down massively. Oh, it's almost Ivan as thin. Really? Which he had an interesting theory about, which I probably agree with. Is you know how Jimmy's sound is is very uh, cutting and percussive, generally speaking. Yeah. And he goes, when you plug that guitar in and played it, it was it wasn't like the normal Les Paul sound. It was very cutting and percussive, almost like a big telly or something. Wow, interesting. So maybe and, it has something to do with the neck. And that's what he was thinking with the that's neck shaved saying, down yeah. like that. It would take away some of the girth of a normal Les Paul. Yeah, some of the darkness of the, the yeah. more substantial um, mahogany and stuff like that. Well, so I do know the weight. This one is 8.5, which Great. is on the lighter side for Les Paul. And I've had some that are substantially heavier. Um, and I've had one that was 8.2. Crazy, crazy. crazy That's beautiful. And that was a great sounding Les Paul, too. Sometimes sometimes they can, they can go too light and not sound right, though. It's like there's, there's, there's a weight to... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't always believe the lightest guitar is the best sounding guitar. I agree. And same with basses, man. Some Sometimes of those times the heavier one can be really great. It just might, you might, your back might not like it, but back right. might. Yeah. 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 Guys, That's can true. you talk amongst yourselves for a second? I'll be right back. Can you? Sure. Yeah. yeah no Take problem. Not a problem. This is probably a good time to remind people to uh, check out Sweetwater in the link that we provide below uh in the description of the video if you click that link and purchase anything on from there from sweetwater um we get a little kickback a little commission which helps the channel and um pay for our podcasts and stuff like that and then also please press the subscribe and click the bell all 226 of you who are watching right now please um because we want to we want to reach twenty thousand soon which will be cool and uh, yeah, twenty thousand subscribers. We really appreciate all you guys watching the show, um, putting up with our shenanigans here. <laughs> our yeah. Long last shows sometimes. <laughs> By the way, we've I'm been trying to, to keep it a, down a little bit less these days. Not quite have it be four hours anymore. So it's tough. It's tough. But it to it just it. depends on the guest. Yeah, and I'll, but I, on a Friday night, it's so hard for me to do that. That that late anymore i'm just getting old <laughs> one of these days we're gonna watch mark just like pass out on, on his desk yeah, yeah, he's gonna it. heal over and i'll have to end the show you guys wake me up, wake me up when it's over. <laughs> well, that's a nice thought <laughs> oh that's funny um i know john deshane says he likes the long ones you're talking about the show though he's talking about the show i hope <laughs> Oh man! Oh, I'm just kidding, John. I just wanted to look. <laughs> What's Shanks that? On here? No, 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 no. Okay. We need to get John Shanks on here, though. Yeah, no, he's yeah. We're gonna get him on too. You're gonna get him. He'll talk about gear forever. We won't even have to say anything. 
<laughs> That's true. <laughs> All we need to do is just ask him what's on his pedal board. It's oh it, yeah, that'll take forever. That's um, alone, right? Exactly. It's all. It's always sort of interesting when you do these shows, and then you have a guest that's uh, extremely talkative to the point of of we never say anything. Almost, it's like, but about uh, about. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, we had a couple like that. Bob Bradshaw was was a talkative one. Yeah, yeah, surprisingly, he, right? He was like just going. Oh my That's, god, it was great. No, it was great. Good. Makes your work easier. I just learned Absolutely. that Brian played on the Monster Mash. I, I, when you mentioned that earlier, you you really played on the Monster Mash? No, hey Tony Tex, good to see you. Um, no, I didn't play on the record. I wish. I mean, I was no. seven years old then. So okay, I think the I was, record. 1962 i'm just guessing uh basically it's a twist so whenever the twist craze was 61 62 that's when that came out no i played with bobby boris pickett doing the monster mash live i see okay yeah. i wish i played on it but no i didn't it's a super chat it's a good time to tell dave that he's the man it's always a good oh, time i don't know about that but Dave Thank is the man okay <laughs> right now i'm a ghost with, a, with this lighting but uh, let's see, Dit Modern Vintage. Dave, how long is the current and usual turnaround to build a rig with NAM pushed to June? Are you releasing any new gear then or in January? Well, we're not doing NAM in June. Uh, there is not, well, I mean, there there's some future things coming for new gear, but we were like, we didn't feel like we, we, we were so behind in the, the stuff we have already. It's just like, why pile on some more new stuff on top of it? So uh, it just doesn't make any sense. So uh, we're just, uh, you know, until the next release comes out, which is going to be still a little while. Um, but it's going to be a cool one. <laughs> yeah. See, now that's what people want to hear. You have some. It's cool going to be a cool one. And then there's there. going to be a vintage line of amps that we're going to do too. So. Oh, that that that'll be very cool. Also, those those they won't be too long from now. Nice. So, so what are the amps that you're playing, Brian? For the most part, yeah, now I've been using um, uh, two divided by thirteen um, BTR twenty threes. It's a twenty three watt head with uh, KT sixty six tubes, hmm. and um, it's kind of vaguely. Uh, reminiscent of earliest plexis that had KT66s. And in in his in this configuration, um, it has uh, uh, a nice, very usable gain and master section as well. Great sounding amp. And the way we're playing right now, or most recently when we were playing, is way down low. So I've got two amps through sort of an old school stereo pedal board some effects are stereo, some aren't. Um, but uh, old school stereo out of a pedal board into two amps. So sometimes I'll have a delay that's just going da -da, like that across the amps, which get sort of spread out in a stereo because we're being mixed live in stereo as well. But it's always a fun effect when mm -hmm. you can 
hear it echoing in the room that you hear your delay going across. But um, yeah, those are great, great heads. And two Marshall 212 uh, cabinets with the speakers diagonal, you know, they're, they're kind of um, like vertical 212s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Diagonal 212s. Yeah. Hmm. Two of those guys. And then uh, Ashdown uh, 900 base rig, uh, a newer one with tubes in it. Really nice. Wow. Great. Right. Yeah. So are there, pl are there plans to, uh, to tour? Other no, no current plans out there. And I think it's one of those sort of wait and see what's going to happen next kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think Paul wisely wanted to just let other people go first and see how they do. Um, and we see a lot of tours where people have having are having to, to come home and leave the tour. Dates are getting canceled. Now it's getting better. So we'll see, see what he wants to do, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. All to him. Yeah. I mean, for the yeah. most part, there have been big, big bands that have been able to keep the tours going. And then some smaller bands have had, have had to cancel, but Guns N' Roses was able to keep going for, for the whole, throughout the whole tour. And yeah, I know ZZ Top's going, I'm actually going to see them on Sunday. Yeah, well, and it's, it, it's kind of like, the you know the bands at least in the in the in the COVID time shall we say, um, they keep going, but it's they don't stop the whole tour if someone gets sick. It's right. Those people are you know, everyone's tested, and then those people go home or get quarantined in a hotel, but the tour goes on. Right, and um, so. You know, because because this is horrible for a tour. I mean, you can't cancel dates like that. It, this is so costly to yeah. do something like that. And this is a, you know, and some bands, I mean, really large bands can do this pretty well. Yeah. But like, say a mid-level band that does pretty well touring, but but a mid-level band, it it could be make or break whether they make any money at all on the entire tour. I know. So true. You know, if they miss three shows, that could be all their profit for, for the entire tour. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Margins are tight. And, uh, you know, musicians are working often very close to the bone, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, I feel for a man. I feel for anybody who's had to cancel a bunch of dates. I mean, uh, my friend Scott, you know, Scott Schreiner, has been out with uh, Weezer on the in the Hella Mega tour with Green Day, Weezer, Fallout Boy, and, and another band. Yeah, maybe the other band changed, and one of the guys in Fallout Boy uh, got a positive test and had it split from the tour for like you say two weeks. Now the package tour went on without Fallout Boy. You know they plugged in another band, but um, and then they came back and finished it out. But yeah, <laughs> what a drag. Yeah. And it's, and of course the whole, when I understand just the whole COVID protocol, keeping everybody, you know, on tour, trying to keep everybody safe, not around, you know, no, no people interacting with, with all the crew and everything. It just becomes a nightmare from what I understand, you know, just to make it run smoothly. Um, well, it's, it's almost impossible. I mean, you're, you're, you're touring and you have your crew and you have everyone else that's on these tours, I mean, they're going out at night. Yeah. They, they might go to the bar or they might, they're going to go, they go out. 
and you have no you almost have no control over what they do i mean you could try to control it but that on on a really large tour i think it's almost impossible you know yeah so i think in in the end paul was wise to just you know hang back yeah i agree yeah goes and uh you know, remains to be seen what he wants to do in the future. But yeah. suffice it to say, if he says, let's go, I'm ready. ready to go. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, just everyone with the vaccines or not, but I'm not, we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend recently die because he didn't get a vaccine, essentially. God, I'm so sorry to hear that, man. A touring, a touring guy. Really? I'm sorry to hear that, Dave. Yeah. Tragic, man. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, and I mean, it's a third rail subject for a lot of people, and it's sad that it yeah. needs to be a third rail subject. But yeah. anyway, um, yeah, here's to all the people out there that uh, have gone out and soldiered on and, and those who have successfully stayed in a tour bubble so that they could – uh, not risk one of their yeah. people getting ill and having to split. It's it's a challenge, it's a real challenge. And yeah. it's also, you know, like you're shooting from the hip. Nobody knows how to do it. We haven't right. had a. It's new. Yeah, it's all yeah. new. The protocols are new. Everything's new. They weren't doing rock and roll tours last time there was a pandemic. You know. No. <laughs> no. no. Not all over. Then exactly. Uh, by the way, Dave, did you answer the how long it? currently takes to turn around a, a, and build a rig oh no i didn't um uh well that would depend on what it is um when you're bringing it and uh how much other stuff stacked up before you so i can't totally answer that i mean right now i mean we're finishing a really large rig uh right now for john shanks and then I have another two or three things to do before anything else. Mm. One, two, three, three, three stacked up waiting. But is it generally like weeks for someone to work for you? to? Well, I mean, like how long does it take from if we, if we say we're going to start on it to when it's done within a couple weeks. Um, but, you know, when do we start on is the question. Right, to get in the queue. Yeah, to get in the queue. I mean, yeah, I mean, you surely can contact me and let me know, and we'll we'll see see what you got. Cool. I would also imagine that it, it matters, like, do you have every single element and do you know what you want? Because that this, this all, yeah, this all matters. Sure, of course. This, this all matters. Um, yes, exactly. That's always my question. Okay, well, what 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 do you got? What do you got? What what do you want to use? Uh, do you have an idea of how you'd like to use it? Do yeah. you need an idea on how you should use it? What do you you know? What is the yeah? What is the thing? Yeah, that's a good thing about working with you, Dave. Is it's um sort of like every project you treat with the same kind of sensitivity and enthusiasm. It's like you really want to know what they're looking to do. Yeah. You're not telling them, well, this is how you do it. You know, this is correct. How, you know, and and uh that's that's really cool. I mean, that's well, I learned I learned a long time ago that with with people and rigs, it's an artistic choice of how you use things. Um 
who's to say you can't put your delay in front of your fuzz? I mean, does it make a sound? Yes, it makes a sound. Do you like that sound? Yes, I like that sound. Mm-hmm. Is it the you know the the piece of the song you wrote? You used it that way. Who's to say that's wrong? It's not wrong. It's there's no there's no wrong. Right. It's music. There's no wrong. There's no wrong. Whatever you like is what right, and we just have to consolidate it in a package that you can use, you know, or that that will work for you. And I I just learned a long time ago. I've seen people before that I like. I see what they bring in, and like, oh my god, oh no, you know. And then I hear them play through it, and you're like, oh, that sounds really good, you know, (laughs) with them playing it with that that this person yeah and uh and i'm like it could be the weirdest thing it could be like an old korg a3 shoved in front of a you know this solid state uh uh, fender amp that they made in 1983 and and you know and then they put that into a cabinet and and it's their sound yeah but i mean it is a sound it's good I even did that with you on on a pedal board 20 years ago where I brought in, you'll probably remember this, an MXR digital delay, one of those blue face things. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, was it the delay? It was the delay, wasn't it? Yes. And, and, uh, yeah, in that rack. In that rack. And the, the modulation on that thing sounded so huge and wide. And there was something about the, oh, those are good. There, the way it drove, it's just like it was a sound. Yeah, those are good. Those yeah. those those old MXR ones are great. Noisy, yeah. but great. Noisy, very yeah. noisy, but super cool. And so I just learned a long time ago that I, you know there there is no one way. If you go to a rig builder and he says, "Oh, you got to do it this way," run. Yeah, because that that's you don't have to do it that way. Right, and it you know. might not end up being the sound you're looking for, yeah. not the right. sound he's looking for. There could be guidelines, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on what they're asking. You know, if the person is asking me, hey, what do you suggest of this order of these five pedals, you know, mm-hmm. right. I might have a suggestion. But if he comes in and says, hey, you know, I ran, I mean, the bass player for Rage Against the Machine, I did a pedal board for him years ago, and, and he had his, uh, the wah was last, his delay was first. And and then there was a fuzz in between and something else, you know, and 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 I'm like, this doesn't quite seem right, but okay. And but that was his sound. That's what he used, and that's mm-hmm. who's to. I, I mean, can't argue with if, it. If no one, you know, all the greatest guitar sounds of of, of all time were people, especially way back in the '70s, let's say '60s, '70s. There wasn't a lot of gear, so they experimented to get the sound that they wanted, you know, and that's how you get the Richie Blackmore with the tape machine in front of the Marshall Major tooth, you know, 200 and, 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 and you get all these things and none of that stuff would have ever been created. Those sounds that we, we revere now wouldn't have been created without these people experimenting. So right. who am I to tell them they're wrong? Right. Yeah. yeah, and that's cool because that is the spirit of rock and roll too. It's like, yeah. you know, why should there be rules there when the very mm-hmm. music that a lot of us are shooting for is supposed to be without rules and without uh, exactly, know, like, exactly. 
guardrails. I, I remember one time I, I met this guy. He had just done a record for, I don't remember what label it was now. There was a band called A Thousand Mona Lisas. A guy named Armando Prado. Prado? 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 Sorry, Armando. <laughs> um, Prada, I think. Anyway. Uh, and he came in with a rig. He just, he they didn't have enough money to really have me redo the whole thing. But it's like, could you help me out? I'm having these noises and these things. And can you at least band-aid it so it doesn't make the noises? Yeah. And it was the weirdest stuff. It was, for me, it was like, a, it was an old uh, Mesa Boogie Triaxis preamp, right? One of those old ART uh, MIDI EQs that existed uh, back in the in the early '90s, uh, Boogie Power Amp. Then he had a drawer with like three pedals, but the three pedals went to a silver face twin with a master volume and JBLs in it. Oh, so they ran it in parallel. So the pedals went to this twin, and then the, the Mesa Boogie went uh, th through that EQ into the power amp into another cabinet. Woo. Okay, so now you're looking at it going, oh my god. <laughs> Silverface Twin Master Volume with JBLs. Boy. Yeah. Uh, I swear to God, you turned it on both together. And it was the greatest. Like, it, 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 the band was more of a punk rock band. It was the greatest, big, huge punk rock sound you've ever heard. Yeah. And I'm like looking at it going, okay, get it. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. get it. It was a great sound. It was a great. Well, see, to be teachable still and open-minded still after you've built a thousand Mona Lisa's and their rigs, you know, that yeah. that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, you can't, it, it, everything, anything can work. Yeah. But the biggest lesson I think people need to learn these days, and you brought it up earlier, Brian, was your volume knob on your guitar and your pickup selection. I almost think I want to lock them in a room with just a single channel amp and go, here's your guitar. You got these, however many pickups, whatever guitar you gave them. You got this, and you got the switch, and you got the volume and tones. That's all you got. Make it work. <laughs> what are you going to do? Right. Yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, and you know, just like single channel amp. Okay. Well, well, you know what? There's there's ten channels in your volume knob. Right, you want right. clean? There's roll little, it you back. want clean? Roll it way down. You want a yep. little gritty? Roll it up a little bit. You want it more gritty? A little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? It's all right there, man. It, Especially with the right amps. With the right amps, it's uh, you know still the way to go. Yeah. And then, you yeah. know, you, and you have, you know, like if you had a guitar, let's say it's a Strat or something and it had a humbucker in the bridge, you have a thousand sounds there. You got all the single coils, you got the in-betweens, you got a humbucker, you got uh, volume knobs, you, uh, you got everything. You got everything. Yeah. But I, I think it's the most valuable lesson, especially in today's age. Yeah. Because now we have guitar players growing up playing in front of their computer and it, it's not a really good representation of if you're going to go then play live, it's not really a good representation of what you're going to. Yeah. 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 You got to, you having an amp 
loud and plugged in and playing with other people is completely different than playing in your room. Yeah. It's a different, different thing. No doubt. Absolutely. Um, we got a question from Alex Pritchard. Speaking of releasing things, does Brian have any new music projects in the works? Oh yeah. Thanks Alex. Yeah. Always do. Um, I'm always writing and recording new music and I mentioned a little while ago that I have a, a singles deal and that's on Wicked Cool Records, which is little Steven Van Zandt's record label out of New York City. Um, and uh, so I put out a single about every six months or so and they're vinyl. So two songs every six months, four songs a year, something like that. That's and cool. I'll that cool. Again, uh, in 2022, I'm looking forward to it. That's a cool little uh, deal that you have when you Continually. It's, it's, really, it's perfect for me because when I am super busy with Paul, that's a bite-sized amount of creative work that I could commit to. And right. You know, right while I'm on the road. And then when I see that leg of the tour ending, I just call ahead and book some studio time, book my friends, get a night's sleep and go bang it out in the studio and get ready to go back out on the road a week or two later. You know, and, and that's sitting there ready to be finished and then mixed, you know, and it's, it's really fun because it also gives me something of my own to look forward to as well. Right. Um, just at a more complete sort of uh, musical life. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'll have two more singles in 2022 and do that probably uh, some more after that. That's awesome. Um Oh, by the way, I wanted to ask you before, speaking of your collection of vintage gear, what's, what, what are your thoughts on when you tour? Do you bring that stuff out with you when you're touring? I think I've seen you playing your some of your vintage gear, but I wanted to ask. Yeah, some of the stuff I do bring with me. Other things like I'm using for my SGs, I now have a 62 Ebony Block SG that I'm playing that I love. SG Standard 62 with a nice big neck and Ebony Block uh, bridge. Um, and I, I brought my 57 gold top out for about two or three years, maybe more, maybe four years. And one night I saw it sitting at the stage in the dark at the Grammys when there's like five bands coming on and off stages and I freaked out. And that was the last night that thing was with me. But <laughs> Live with Paul was on that Grammy show, which is, Gosh, we played that song, Golden Slumbers, in the end, and we had Bruce Springsteen, Joe Walsh, and Dave Grohl joining Paul, Rusty, and myself. So we had six guitar players at that end of the end of the song duel, and that's that's the last time I played my old gold top with Paul. <laughs> I Don't blame my, you. My 59 Gretsch comes with me. My 63 P bass Fiesta Red also. Mm. Uh, that thing's beat up, and that thing is so fun. Um, also a 59 P bass, um, a 63 a Gibson Dove acoustic. It's great. Uh, and I'll always bring out sort of a, a TV Junior or a Polaris White Junior SG uh, to, to play uh, slide on. So the, you know, there's a couple of vintage and a couple of new ones, a couple of signature models and that stuff. Great. Cool. 
Thank you. Uh, Modern Vintage, thanks for the super chat. Hey, guys, fellow vintage collector here. Brian, is it me or have the best, most resonant and acoustically loud vintage Les Pauls you've been, you played been eight to nine pounds? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Dave and I were just discussing that earlier. There's, there's um, you know, exceptions to that rule. I mean, preferably, you know, Eight two to eight eight is a good range for an old Les Paul, I'd say. But I've played heavier ones, and I had a broadcaster that was the most resonant thing you've ever played, and that thing was nine and a half pounds or ten pounds. It was crazy. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, just to be nice to my neck and my back and my shoulders, I try to stay on the lighter side. But sometimes you just got to take what you have, you know. Yeah, if it speaks to you. If it speaks to you, if it works for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, this, this question. Dave, any plans for a Friedmanized tweed? Uh, it could happen down the road. Maybe. I won't uh -huh. say no. I won't say no. Okay. Um, Brian, do you like any new gear? being in the golden age of gear or are you primarily primarily vintage only i mean i know you play divided by 13 amps so that's new stuff right so a lot of the pedals i use thanks for the question a lot of the pedals i use are brand new kinds of uh you know inventions the the divided by 13 btr 23s are new they're made currently um half of my guitars are new like i'm bringing two gibson custom shop signature models out with me and a and a great Rick Nielsen, uh, flame top Les Paul from the custom shop too. That mm. thing's really killer. Um, and the Taylor 12 strings are new ish, you know, not brand new, but yeah, I like lots of new gear too. I mix it up, you know, whatever, whatever works there, they are tools to help you get things that you hear in your head, you know, mm -hmm. by the way, did you want to give a shout out to your friend, um, the shirt you're wearing? Oh yeah, Chris. Oh my God. DJ Lava Lamp. Yeah. Um, this, this is a really great little company, R2R Electric. This guy makes killer pedals. Um, and it is maybe his most, his most well-known one is he does, uh, his own new version of a, um, of a range master, uh, uh, treble boost. And then he also does some great sort of uh super fuzzes and stuff like that but he uses all really old components that he goes and he digs around and finds these things and makes great pedals chris very cool awesome. you guys should check them out uh, another super chat from purposeful porpoise brian out of the bursts that you've played do you do the pickups sound more asymmetrical lots of harmonics high end or symmetrical darker thicker mids thanks I would say this new one is a wild beast with very hot original PAFs in it, a double white in the, in the neck position, funny enough, and a zebra in the bridge position. Um, and they're very loud pickups. They're very hot for PAFs and they sound really complex and wonderful, but obviously that depends a lot about how you use it, how you play it, you know, the approach with your hands and what kind of amp you're using is it how dark or complex or stringy it's going to be, you know, but we were talking about that a lot and uh, you know, using the volume pedal 
as your many stages of gain going straight into an amp is is a really fun exercise. Mm-hmm. Yep, totally agree. Absolutely. Um, BB mentioned to me that we we had a fir, uh, super chat early on that I missed. So it was from Dylan Farrell or Farrell. Uh, Dave, is there any way to get more headroom out of my twin sister? Love it in the studio, but I struggle on stage with humbuckers. Modded, modded to a hundred watts? Question mark. I can't mod. I can't. I can't fit any more in that amp, so I can't mod it to a hundred watts. So that's that's not going to happen. Um, I, I I mean it is a gritty amp. It 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 it's not really designed to be a high headroom clean amp. I mean, um, so uh, you know maybe we could put something like KT eighty eights in it or something. That might be interesting. So, okay, sounds like a plan. You All know, right. maybe it'll give you a little more headroom. What about page um, now? What about putting a uh, a boost in the loop? Uh, well, that won't give you it won't give you more headroom. No, I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it depends on what the guy's talking exactly. You know. If yeah. Well, I, when I think of headroom, I'm thinking of keeping it clean without it breaking up. So I was thinking, you can keep put your volume on it before it breaks up and then put the uh the boost in your loop that's what i was doing with the it's still it's still about the signal that's hitting the power amp ultimately uh, so the okay. more signal you hit the power amp the more the power amp breaks up i mean i wouldn't think that that amp's breaking i mean the power amp's not break the power amp doesn't break up on that amp till it's eight or seven or eight on the master so i would think that's pretty damn loud I would think so also. Yeah. Um, Try turning the master on 10 and turning the, the gain the gain down and using the lower gain setting. That's the way to do it. Preach, you know? brother. Preach. Turn we're the getting, master we're getting a tour, tour of Brian's house, apparently. Apparently, yeah. yeah. I have a dinner I've got to go to in a minute, you guys. So yeah. Oh, no, no problem. No problem. Some party favors. Yeah. Here's yep. the kitchen anyway. Is this the house that has the uh, the pool is shaped as a Les Paul? Yes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. That is so cool. Otherwise, did you buy, the, did you buy the house? Pool. It's a Les Pool. Yes, a Les Pool. Did you buy the house with that, or did it? Did you have it made? No, the the, the house actually did have a pool in it, but it was like once we cleared all the old brush and stuff like that. We found that um, that pool kind of wasn't very cool. The pool wasn't cool. So I said, okay, so let's redo it. What would it cost to do a um, what would it cost to do a custom pool? And they gave me a price. And then I'm thinking about it and go, okay, cool. And then then they then I said, what would it cost to do a custom custom pool like something wild and they gave me another price and it was a lot more and i just said screw it if i'm going to do a new pool why not do something wacky so that's what i did that's, that's awesome it. it is amazing that's yeah. awesome you guys gotta um, come out sometime man absolutely uh, i'd love to I'd love, yeah that would be amazing um 
So I think we've we've hit all the questions for you, Brian. Um, there's one question left for Dave, but I know you have to run. So I want to I want to thank you very much for your time, uh, for staying on with us and uh, telling us all your great stories about your career and gear you used. And um, is, is there anything else uh, you you want to promote or tell people about? Oh, just a shout out to all my uh, bandmates with Paul and all my friends, uh, large and small. And um, let's see, what else? Oh, all the people at Wicked Cool uh, Records and Sirius XM 21, the underground garage for playing my records like all the time. I appreciate all that. And then just all the people who, you know, watched us here tonight or listened to us in the podcast. And thanks for mm-hmm. your uh, time and your ears. Yeah, we appreciate it really do um well if you can just stay for one second let me just get this question out of the way then we can all say goodbye off- offline uh, and thank you mark and thank you dave for even asking me really, really oh of course pleasure pleasure dave can you mod a 100 deluxe to have that immediate vicious feel of the butter slacks instead you, of the less smooth be deluxe feel you you almost have it already you just need to know how to turn the switches I literally, if I modded it, I would change two resistors to get so, it completely the same. So just email Dave. Okay, two resistors and one cap. So, well, but, just, but honestly, you can get that sound out of it. Okay. That's what to, I was going to say. Yeah. Do you want to say how, how to do that, Dave? Just say how to do it no yeah, he can well, he, he can email me it's this it's like okay i just too involved it's, just... I, it's too involved okay well i want to wish everybody a great weekend thanks for watching i'm going to say goodbye and uh brian just hang on while we say while we get offline no everybody problem. Have a great weekend yep.